How's everybody doing? I love the opportunity to, to talk with you guys, and, and one of the reasons why is because I get to tell you a little bit about myself, and you guys get to know me a little bit more, and, and so that's one of the reasons I look forward to teaching. And so today, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me that maybe you don't know. I have this ability. It's a gift. I haven't found it in the scriptures yet, but it's a gift that I have, and it's that I have this ability to give someone a name, and it sticks, all right? And I don't know if it's the Cuban in me, like Cubans, you know, we like to give nombretes to people. We like to give people names, and, and a lot of times they stick. And so I'm going to tell you one of a few stories of times that I've named someone and it's stuck. And, and one of them was uh, when I was a youth pastor here at Calvary, there was this kid, or there is this kid. His name is Robert. And uh, it was his first time at our youth group. He was about 13 years old. And, and the day that he came uh, to uh, the youth group, um, we were playing this crazy game. We play crazy games every week, but this is a real crazy one. It was like hot potato. But it isn't like regular hot potato because that would be boring. Well, the way that we did it is that we got a canned ham. Looks like this. Opened it. All right? And I don't know if any of you have ever opened one of these things. It's kind of disgusting. It's like this gooey ball of compressed pork meat. Right? And so um, we play the music. I got like five, six, seven of them, a bunch of them. And we broke up into a bunch of groups. And people had to pass this ball of giant compressed ham with jelly on it, you know, pork jelly on it. I don't know what it is. It's disgusting. But they don't touch it with their hands because that would still be not that disgusting, right? They had to put it under their chin or like hold it with their head. And then they had to pass it around from person to person. And then whenever the music stopped, the person that had the ham, you know, and hot potato, you're out. No, you're in. You got to eat the ham, right? You got to bite a chunk off the ham, right? And so this went on for a couple of rounds, and there was this kid, Robert, that every time the music stopped, he would take these giant chunks of ham off this ball, right, to the point where he was liking it. And so the kids, whenever it stopped, he'd be like, hey, give it to me, give it to me. And, he, and so while everyone was like, you know, three, you know, a quarter of the way into their ham, this guy ate the whole ham, right? And I was in shock. I thought kids were going to start throwing up, um, and then I walk up to him, I put my arm around him, and I'm like, everybody, give it up for... And I didn't know his name, and I'm trying to get him to tell me his name, and he has this piece of ham in his mouth still that he's chewing, and I'm like, Hamong! <laughs> right? Give it up for Hamong! And everybody was like, woo, Hamong! Everybody started cheering, Hamong! And to this day, right now, this very moment, if you go to our children's ministry, you will see a young man, Hamong, right, with a name tag that says Hamong! All right. He took on this name. I knew that it had stuck the day that I'm in the office and they're like, hey, uh, Mark, there's a parent on the phone that wants to speak with you about camp. And I'm like, okay, put her through. And when I get the phone, I'm like, hi, this is Mark. And she's like, hi, Pastor Mark, this is Hamong's mom. <laughs> and when she said that, I knew the name stuck. And to this day, now he's in his 20s, even his Facebook says Hamong Dominguez. All right, so the name stuck. And this is not just something that's happened now that I'm older. Even when I was a kid, like my friends, I have this one friend that he had this like pointy little piece of flesh next to his ear. And it looked like a horn. And so I called him Tarrito. And the name stuck, Tarrito, little horn. And this week, no lie, it's like God ordained this. I bumped into Tarrito's cousin. All right, and I've been seeing this guy the whole year because his daughter goes to my son's school. And every time I see him, I know him, I know him. I go to sleep at night. Sometimes I'm thinking, who is that guy, right? And then I remembered. 
And I'm like, it's got to be Tarrito's cousin. And so I walk up to him like on Tuesday or Wednesday this week. And I'm like, hey, man, I know you from somewhere. You look super familiar. He's like, Hylia High. I'm like, no, I didn't go to Hylia High. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I remember you from Hylia High. I'm like, I didn't go to Hylia High. I'm like, are you Tarrito's cousin? And he's like, Tarrito? I don't know Tarrito. It's like, and I'm like, oh. I mean, his, and I didn't even think that that was like a name that I gave him. I couldn't remember the kid's name for the life of me. I couldn't remember Tarrito's name. Then I had another friend that we called him Mullet. And it wasn't because he had a mullet, you know, like the long hair, shaved size. It's because his mouth looked like this, like, like a mullet. And so we called him mullet, and he liked it, and he called my house. Hey, is Mark there? It's mullet. You can take it off. Some people are gross, getting grossed out. And, uh, and so, you know, I grew up with a bunch of friends. It was real fun, you know, in this townhouse community and, and you know, hanging out with my friends all the time. But here's the thing. A lot of these kids, they weren't Christian. And so they were always saying bad words and dirty jokes, and we'd go fishing, and while we're waiting for the fish to bite, you know, in the canals of Hialeah, we're fishing, and, and these kids are, like, telling dirty jokes and cussing and saying, oh, you're this and that. And, you know, I would, like, you know, most Christians be like, uh-huh, you know, kind of. And then, you know, I found myself saying bad words, too. You know, I was, like, 12, 13 years old saying all these bad words and going to church feeling guilty. And I'm like, you know, what about if I change the words? And so I didn't say bad words anymore. Instead, I would go, shish kebab, you know, or I would go, oh, fudge. And I would say things like that. And my friends would look at me like, this kid's weird, you know, saying all this stuff, you know. But, and also these kids, they used to break into this lunch truck in the neighborhood. And I never, I, I promise I never broke into the lunch truck, but I enjoyed the Twinkies and the Doritos and sodas that they would get from this lunch truck. And I thought, no, I didn't steal it. They were giving them to me, you know, it was like Robin Hood, you know, giving to the, to the poor and stuff. And, uh, but one day my youth pastor was preaching and, and it really convicted me. And he said, you know what? There's people in your life, friends that you have that, that you got to walk away from because they're pulling you away from the Lord. And, and, and he's saying all that. And I'm like, oh, and I start thinking, Tarrito, Mullet, Gator. There was another guy. We call him Gator. You know, I'm thinking all these kids. I got to stop hanging out with these kids because they're taking me away from God. And so I came back home and I told them, I'm like, hey, man, you know, we're the best of friends. I love hanging out with you guys. And we have so much fun playing basketball and stuff. But if you guys keep living like this, you keep doing all these things, you know, and you don't change, I can't hang out with you anymore. And they're like, you're going to pick church over us. You're a Jesus freak. You know, you're a Christian fanatic. You're a hallelujah. They started calling me all these things. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. Um, so I guess you've made your decision. They're like, yeah, you know, if you want, you can go. Go have fun in church. And so the next week, I'm in my house. And like every Saturday, one of us, the one that woke up first, would knock on the other one's door. And that day, um, they didn't see me outside. They all came to my house. Like, wait, where's Mark? And, uh, you know, my mom's like, hey, Mark, mullet is here. You know, and, uh, and I'm like, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. And, and then they, they didn't leave. They actually stayed in front of my house, doors locked, and, and they're riding their bikes right in front of, like, the window of my house. It was like this townhouse complex in Hialeah. You don't need to have grass or anything. So it's like the, the road banged up right against the house. And so the kids are riding their bikes. And, and the whole time that they're there, they're going, shish kebab, ha, 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 fudge, ha, 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 ha. They're like, kumbaya, my lord, kumbaya, I love Jesus. They're doing all this stuff for hours in front of my house. And man, I'm trying to watch cartoons and this is going on outside. And, and man, it hurt. It hurt real bad. You know, I was 12, 13 years old. And you could just imagine, you know, how, how you'd feel. You know, if someone's making fun of you and, and mocking you and laughing. Friends that a week ago, you're fishing with them, hanging out with them, laughing with them. And then for them to turn their back on me, it really hurt. You know, and here's the, the truth is that we've all had moments like this in our life. Moments in our life when people have made fun of us. 
Moments in our life when people have treated us bad because we made a decision to stand up for what's right. Moments in our life when we decided to take the high road, we decided to do what God called us to do. And people made fun of us. And we wonder why. Why is it so hard? Maybe for you it's at work. You're a Christian. You try to do everything right. You give 110% every time. And when it comes time for that promotion, when it comes time for that bonus, when it comes time to get recognized, it never happens to you. Someone else gets it. And you know, like, man, that person's a liar. That person's this. And you're, you're fighting in your head. You're arguing with God. Why is this happening? Maybe there's some husbands and wives here that you guys are trying to honor God with your decisions and the things that you do at home. And you, don't, and you wonder why. Why am I doing all this good stuff? And yet, life at home is still impossible. Moms and dads, that man, you're, you're talking to God and you're like, God, why are my kids so rebellious? Why are all these things happening to me after everything that I do to follow you? You're probably here today and you're saying, Pastor Mark, from the moment I gave my life to Jesus, there are people in my family that are mad at me. People in my family that make fun of me, that say mean things about me. The same way that your friends stood outside of your house and mocked you and laughed at you. That's what's happening to me in my own family. People persecuting me. And to be honest, to be honest, Pastor Mark, I can't take it anymore. There's probably a lot of you here today that are saying, I've had enough. Life is just too hard. I'm stressed out. I feel sad. I feel defeated. Why are people so mean? And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We're in this series that we're calling Becoming the Road from Here to There. And in this series, we're taking an in-depth look at the book of 1 Peter. And you're saying, Peter, who exactly was Peter? 1 Peter chapter 1.1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter was one of the famous disciples of Jesus. This guy walked with Jesus every single day. He was one of the fishermen that Jesus called out when he was fishing. And he said, hey, take up your cross, follow me, drop your nets. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. That's the Peter that we're talking about. And you know what Peter did? He dropped the nets. He turned his back on everything that he knew. And he followed Jesus And let me tell you something, if anyone knows what it feels like to feel alone, to feel neglected, to feel rejected, it's this guy. He was imprisoned for following Jesus. Peter was persecuted for following Jesus. And lastly, he was actually crucified for following Jesus. Yeah, he was crucified because he decided on a beautiful afternoon to turn his back on everything that he knew. And begin to follow Jesus. And this very same guy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is the one who penned the words that we're going to read today. If you go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13, it says, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. If you stop there, give me your attention. Here God is telling us, who's going to come against you for doing what's good? And then he goes on to say, but if you suffer for doing what's right, God's going to reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. In this world, you are going to have trouble. Jesus said that in John 16, but take heart, be brave because I have overcome the world. In this world, you're going to go through difficult moments when your life and your faith is tested. But be brave because Jesus overcame 
the world. And so the question that we need to answer today is how do we react when we are under attack? How do you react when you are under attack? And the first thing, the first way to do it is that you need to know that God is going to reward you. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God has amazing things planned for you. God has an incredible plan for your life. God is going to reward you with eternal life, with unspeakable joy, with a peace that surpasses the understanding of man. God wants to reward you. God is going to give you the strength that you need to overcome whatever it is that you are going through in your life. God is going to lift you up when you are weak, when you have fallen, when you are tired. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? The second thing and the second way that we need to react when we are under attack, when people come against us, when people come to destroy us and make fun of us and mock us, The second thing is don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be afraid of their threats. And one of the best ways to overcome fear is to look at fear in the face and say, get out of here. Is to confront the obstacles in your life. Don't run away. Don't turn your back on them. Stand in the name of Jesus in front of those things because you have the victory. We need to stare at fear in the face. When I was six years old, six, probably seven years old, I used to love riding my bike. All right? And I would ride my bike from the moment I woke up until, until sundown. And uh, I was seven years old, riding my bike around the block. Nowadays, you can't do that, but back then, you, were, you could do that. And, and then I remember riding my bike around the block, and when I would get thirsty, I would run into a random neighbor's house and grab the holes and, and keep riding my bike and riding my bike. And on one of those days, I'm turning the corner on, on uh, West 8th Avenue in Hialeah, and these two giant Doberman pinchers attacked me. All right, they knocked me off of my bike. I'm glad you're laughing. That's real funny. Two Doberman pinchers attacked a seven-year-old boy. Okay, and they, they, they jumped on me. I fell off my bike, and I was pooping in my pants. I was freaking out. All right, and I could feel the hot breath of these dogs in my face, the drool falling on me. You know, and they're on top of me. I'm freaking out. Their paws are on me. They're stepping on me. And I'm thinking, these dogs are going to eat me up. All right, I'm done. All right, and then my mom's going to tell me in the hospital bed, I told you to be careful when you're going around the block, blah, blah, blah. Te lo dije, all this stuff. And, and I'm thinking all this stuff's flashing through my head. And I said, I have two decisions. I'm either going to get eaten by these dogs or I got to get them off of me. And I looked at those dogs straight in their eyes and I said, leave me alone. Get out of here. And those two giant dogs that were freaking me out, a lot like the picture that was up there a second ago, they ran away. They were scared to death of this seven-year-old little boy that looked at fear in the face and said, get out of here. And if I could do that to two Doberman pinchers, you could do that in the name of Jesus to whatever obstacle comes your way. Isaiah 51 says this, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? God is the one that is on your side. God is the one that is for you. Why are we afraid of what a man could do to us? Why are we afraid of what the man can do to us? If God is for you, who can be against you? Let's keep reading in verse 15, but I'm going to take it from the top every time because I believe this word's going to come alive every time we read it. Starting in verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? 
But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Instead of worrying, instead of being afraid, all right, instead of like being obsessed with the things that are going on in your life, it says you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. The third thing that we need to do is we need to recognize who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? You need to recognize who Jesus Christ is in your life. And in those moments when you feel like, like you're under attack, you need to recognize who Jesus is, who he really is. And let me, let me like, you know, blow your mind for a second. This isn't who Jesus is. But a lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think of this effeminate guy with golden locks, you know, that wouldn't even swat a fly, holding up the peace sign. That's not the Jesus that we serve. That's not the God that we serve. We serve the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. We serve the God who breathed the world into existence. The one that said, by his word, let there be light. And the heavens were filled with stars. And the sun, the closest star to the earth, the most violent spectacle that we've ever seen came to existence because of him. Because he said, let it be. The raging winds... The raging seas, the mountains, the Himalayas, the Grand Canyon, the biggest spectacles that we could ever set our eyes on were created by Jesus. The one who created you and me in the palm of our hands. The Bible says that he knows every single hair on the top of your head. Some of you are thinking, that's easy, zero. All right, that's the Jesus that I'm talking about. The one who hung on the cross For your sins and my sins. And he was put on the grave. And they thought that they had conquered him. They thought that they had shut him up. But you know what? Three days later, he rose from the dead. Amen? And I love this part of the Bible. It's like God making fun of something. And God says this in 1 Corinthians. Oh, death, where's your victory? It's like God going, nah, nah, ni poo poo. He's like, hey, show me where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Jesus is alive. That is the God that we serve. The Jesus that we serve is the God, amen, that walked on water. All right? The Jesus that one day, he's on the boat, and we've all read the story. He's on a boat, but sometimes we forget, with professional fishermen. All right? People that grew up in the sea. People that every morning they would wake up and they would go and fish. And they were on their boats day in and day out. All right? And these same men, one day, Jesus passed out. He's knocked out sleeping on the boat. And these men are crying like little girls. We're going to die. And they're like, Jesus, wake up. Wake up. Look, we're going to die. How could you be sleeping in the middle of the storm? And Jesus woke up and he went, be still. And the ocean was still. And the winds were still. And these guys were marveled. And they're like, who is this guy that even the wind and the water obeys him? And on that very same day that he calmed that storm, that very same day, Jesus is approaching the shore. And there's a crowd of people waiting for the Jesus, the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. They're waiting for him right there. And there's this man, his name's Jarius, a leader in the synagogue. And this man is desperate, and I could just imagine what he's going through. His little baby, his daughter, was dying. 
And he runs up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my daughter's dying. Can you come to my house and help her? And Jesus went to her house. And when he got to her house, there's this ruckus going on, people crying. And they go and they tell Jarius, they tell this dad that's heartbroken. They're like, why are you wasting Jesus' time? She's already dead. There's nothing that he can do now. Check out what Matthew 5, 36 says. But Jesus, paying no attention to what was said, told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. That's what Jesus is telling you today. You hear these reports. You hear the things that are going on in your life and around you. And he's saying, you know what? Don't listen to that. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And they came to the house of the synagogue ruler. And he saw confusion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you distressed and weeping? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they began making fun of him. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that what they do to us? They make fun of us. They laugh at us. And you know what Jesus did? He kicked them out of the house. That's what we need to do to the people that are coming against us, that are attacking us, that are making fun of us, that are making our life impossible. And say, like I told those two Doberman pinchers, get out of here. Leave me alone. And Jesus kicks them out of the house. And then he takes the mom and the dad and his disciples, a couple of his disciples that were there. Peter, the writer of the book that we're studying, was there. And he goes into the room where the child was. And then gently taking the child... By the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. The girl got up at once and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. There they were. They were completely astonished at this. That is the Jesus that we serve. A Jesus that looks at the circumstance and calls things that aren't what they should be. There's things in your life that are messed up right now. And Jesus is looking at it and he's saying, you know what? She's just asleep. She's not dead. Whatever the situation is in your life, in the name of Jesus, call it what it should be. I am free. I am happy. I'm not destroyed. I'm not convinced, regardless of what the surroundings are around me. If there's death knocking on my door, in the name of Jesus, there is life knocking on my door. That is the God that we serve. I want you to repeat this with me. I am not afraid. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Say it again. I am not afraid. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I want to tell you something. There is hope in Jesus Christ. There is hope in the name of Jesus. Let's continue reading. We're going to take it from the top one more time. And we're going to focus on the other half of verse 15. Now, who will want to harm you? Now that we know everything that we've been talking about, who wants to harm you if you're eager for doing good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing what's wrong. Stop there and give me your attention. The fourth thing that we need to do when we are attacked, the way that we react when we are under attack, the fourth thing is be ready to tell people about Jesus. Be ready to tell people about Jesus because here's a reality check for us. People are watching us. 
Your kids are watching you. Your family members, the ones that think you're crazy, they're watching you. Your co-workers that think you're a Jesus freak, they're watching you. They want to see how you're going to live out your life if what you're saying is real. If you're smoking what you're selling. All right? They want to know if you are the real deal. People are looking at us. Matthew 5 says that we are the salt of the earth. Let me tell you about something that happens in my house every once in a while. More than I'd like to admit. My wife is cooking Cuban rice. And she puts all the ingredients except salt. And so when I go to eat the rice, I'm like, this tastes like hot water. Why? Because a simple ingredient, a spoon of salt, is missing from the recipe. It's, ah, you know, something doesn't have salt. And Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. This world is, ah, it's like, ah, it doesn't have anything. And God has put us the main ingredient for a lot of the food that we eat. The main ingredient is salt. You got to add a little bit of salt, add a little bit of flavor. We are the flavor to this dead and dying world. Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That is our purpose That is how we become the person that God wants us to be, is to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. But many times, we don't do that. God has called you and me to be an influencer, to influence culture, to infuse culture with the power of Jesus, with the hope of Christ. We are the Lord's chosen people to share a message of hope to a dying and sick world. But here's the problem. Many times, we are more worried with not being persecuted than in influencing others. We're more concerned about people not making fun of us and people not saying, oh, he's a Jesus freak or he's a Christian. Oh, we can't say that because he's here. We can't say that because of that. And we're so concerned about what the outcome of what we say and the way that we live our life is that we forget that we're not here to worry about that. And that's what 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17 is all about, is that we have been called by God to be influencers in this world. And many of us never have an opportunity to share the gospel with people, to talk to people about Jesus, because we're undercover Christians. We're hiding from our purpose. We're running away from our calling. And we wonder why, when was the last time that you actually talked to someone about Jesus, shared the gospel with someone? It's not that difficult. You know, I told you the story of those kids that, that made fun of me, and it, it was super hard, and it was embarrassing. And every time I'd go out, you know, they're there saying, oh, look, there's a Christian. He's going to church. Don't say any bad words. You know, they're saying all this stuff, making fun of me. One day, remember my friend Mullet? Things started falling apart in his house. His dad was fighting with his mom. It was like an abusive relationship. They were on the verge of just total collapse. And, and his mom said, hey, don't you have a friend? He's a Christian. And that mom that was fighting for her home, fighting for her husband and for her kids came knocking on the door of the Jesus freak. Same kids that mocked me when they needed 
God, when they were crying, when they had no other place to turn, they came to the house of the Jesus freak. And that family came to church with us. That family found Christ. Because one day, a 12-year-old little punk decided to stand up to listen, to actually listen to what the pastor's saying and act on it. And told his friends, hey, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore because you guys are lunch truck robbers and, and I'm just not going to do it anymore. And they made fun of me and this went on for months. But then when their house was crumbling, they looked at the neighborhood. Where, what house is still standing? And they went to that house. That is what God has designed us to be as his children. A fortress. Where the world can look and say, I want to get in there. I need some of that. I need some of that covering in my life. They may not understand the gospel, but they're reading the story that you are telling. You are the gospel to the people that are around you. Many people are never going to crack open a Bible, but they're reading you. They're watching your life. They're watching how you react to the circumstances that are happening. And then they come up and say, hey, I remember when all this was going on in your life. How did you overcome that? And you could say, in Jesus' name. It was in Jesus' name. I'm nothing. I was able to do it because Jesus is on my side. That is what God has called us to be. And I want to tell you something. And I believe this from the bottom of my heart. The, The deepest part inside of me is that God has a purpose for your life. For each and every one of you. God has a huge plan for you. Big plan. And the only reason that some of you are not living in that plan and that will is because you are running from God. You are running from that purpose. You are running from that calling in your life. The Bible talks to us about a man who God had a huge plan for his life. And your children can probably tell you his story. All right? His name was Jonah. And God said, I need you to go over there and be my witness. Tell people about me. And he said, I don't want to do that. Many times God's calling us and we try to spiritualize it and, oh, that's just not my calling. Oh, that's just not my gift. I don't feel comfortable doing that. You know, I I feel God's calling me to do this because it's easier. The same thing that Jonah did. God said, go be my witness in Nineveh. And he said, but Lord, that's not my calling. What do you mean that's not your calling? I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to do this. Many times God is knocking at your door and he's guiding you. He's leading you. And yet... We run. In the Bible, there's a story of this man that God had big plans for him. God wanted him to go to a city and tell the city about him. And he's like, I don't like the people there. How many times has God told us to do something? We're like, I don't want to do that. That's not my gifting. You know, we spiritualize it. God hasn't called me to do that. And God's calling you to do that. God's using another leader or another person in your life to say, hey, why don't you start doing this? And you're like, oh, that's just not my gifting. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And, and that's what this guy told God. His name was Jonah. And hey, every, every little kid knows a story about Jonah, how Jonah ran from God. And then this big fish came and ate him up because he was running from God. And from the belly of this fish, Jonah cries out to God and he says I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Seol out of the belly of hell I cried out and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep 
into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped around my head. Some of you probably feel like that. Like the world is wrapping you up and you're tangled up. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. See, there's some of you here today that you're running from God. And God wants to use you. You feel like you're in the belly of that whale right now. In a room with this many people, I know. There's people that are running from the will of God. And I want to give you an opportunity today. I'm going to ask George and the band to come out. And we're going to worship. And we're going to say, oh, to be like you. To give all I am just to know you. We're going to sing out to God with everything that we have. Because that's what we read. Right? Worship the Lord. In the midst of your trials. In the midst of whatever you're going through in life. And he's going to meet you there. And if you're here, as we worship, as the band starts to sing, I want you to cry out to God. And the same way that those bars were broken, and the same way that those weeds that were wrapped around Jonah were fell down, that's going to happen today. See, we talked about names changing and how, and how, you know, I have this gift of naming people, Hamong and mullet and all this thing, and it's funny and ha ha ha. Some of you probably think it's kind of hard, but whatever. But check this out. You know, Peter, that's not his real name. Peter was an ordinary man named Simon. And when he met Jesus, Jesus changed his name and said, your name is Peter, your name is Rock. There's a lot of ordinary people here today and Jesus wants to change your name. He wants to say, you are a rock. And when those waves come crashing up against you, when those trials come crashing up against you, they will not stand up. He didn't just say, you are a rock. You're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. So it's not just an ordinary piece of dumb rock. You're a rock with a plan. You today are a rock with a plan. A strong, solid foundation. And God has a purpose for your life. So I'm going to invite you to sing, to stand up and cry out to God. And say, oh, to be like you. This is like you're freaking out. Oh my God, I can be like you. To give all that I am. Just to know you just to know you. Jesus, there is no one beside you. And you're probably saying, yeah, there's a couple things beside you. There's this sin in my life. There's this doubt in my life. There's this problem in my life. There's nothing beside you anymore after today. All right? So we're going to sing with everything that we have, with everything that we got. And we're going to shout out to God. And God is going to meet you right there where you are today. And he's going to transform your life. And you're going to say, I'm not afraid. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I am not afraid. Jesus is the Lord of my life.